Well, hello, Krista Van Allen here, excited to bring you another incredible episode of the Girl Above podcast. Before we get started with today's topic, we want to let our listeners know about the upcoming Shift Conference happening February 23rd and 24th in Denver, Colorado. Join Girl Above alongside Crowder Band, best-selling author Bob Goff, and many other organizations to learn about how to fight sex trafficking. We believe that the first step to eradicating modern-day slavery is to make teens and parents aware of the effects of things like pornography, social media, and a lack of secure and confident identity. Once we're aware of these things, we can step swiftly into action. Human trafficking is happening on a local level all across the country, and we hope you join us in taking a stand against it. To get tickets, visit shiftfreedom.org. The topic of this episode of Girl Above is near to my heart because as a youth worker in today's adolescent culture, there are times that the amount of girls struggling with some sort of anxiety or depression seem overwhelming to me. According to a recent study conducted by the American Psychological Association, females had a significantly higher rate at all age levels for depression and anxiety, eating disorders, and adjustment disorders. And the Teen Treatment Center reports that only one in five teens will seek treatment for anxiety. On today's episode, we are talking with our wonderful counselor, Virginia Hood, about depression and anxiety in teens and how parents can help their adolescent navigate the stormy waters of the high school years. As always, we are honored to hear from Virginia and her wisdom on topics like the one we are discussing in this episode. Virginia is a private practice counselor working with both adolescents and adults. One of her areas of expertise is walking clients through depression, anxiety, and bipolar disorder. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Virginia. All right. Hi, Virginia. Thank you for coming back with us today. Hi. Thanks for having me back. Yes. So Virginia, for those of you who don't know, does all of our mom's gatherings with us and really has been kind of the leader in the content that we are providing to parents. So what you are going to hear is from our anxiety and depression gathering. So Virginia, if you would just give us kind of some background on where we've been so far with some of this content. Yeah, absolutely. You know how I like to connect the dots and give a recap. Um, So in the beginning with these mom's gatherings, um, which I've just loved putting together so much, um, we have covered some Brene Brown material who argues that adolescents today are wrestling with how to believe that they are enough in a culture that says they must be extraordinary. That is like just this gem of a theme that we keep coming back to um, because the culture, Brene Brown argues, really fosters in us this shame-based fear of being ordinary So we kind of all have this thing that we're holding of going, oh gosh, it's not okay if I'm just an ordinary person. I really have to be more. So we don't feel worthy. We don't feel good enough. Um, And oftentimes adolescents create facades that say, oh, we're doing great when they're actually really struggling and broken internally. So me as a counselor, um, you all as parents, We've got to work on helping these adolescents engage the world from a place of worthiness instead of this place of not good enough. Um, if you're interested in hearing more about this material, this was one of our first podcasts that we offered. Yeah. Um, so go back and listen to that one because that's great. Um, it just has great ideas and, and themes in it. So in order, from there, we kind of talked about the fact that in order to help 
these adolescents live from a place of worthiness instead of shame, we've, we've ourselves have really got to live from a place of worthiness and groundedness. Um, we've got to move into territory that sometimes feels uncomfortable. We've got to let ourselves be seen. We've got to be authentic and vulnerable, even when it feels scary and even with your own daughters, um, which is hard to do. It's really hard to let ourselves be seen in a culture that says we need to be perfect and we should hide all of our imperfections. Um, and it's a lot easier to just try and if we see somebody else struggling, like our daughter's struggling, it's easier to just want to try and fix their problems right. and or to focus on them. Um, but it's also very important for you all as moms to really focus kind of on your own story and your own pain and your own emotions as well so that you can be freed up to give your adolescent what they really need. Um, and a dear friend of mine named Melanie Rogers at Sage Hill Counseling in Nashville, Tennessee, she, um, she has written a great article on what your teenager really needs and argues that your teenager's biggest need is not for their pain to be fixed. Your teenager needs you. They need you to help hold their pain by being emotionally present. And again, um, in past podcasts, we've talked about what it looks like to be emotionally present to them. Um, so definitely go back and listen to some of those um, recordings because that's great as well. So in those past mom gatherings, we really helped you guys think back to your own adolescence, your own story, um, both to create some points of connection and empathy in you for your daughters, but also to help you assess what your daughter's struggling or what your daughter's struggles might be bringing up in you emotionally. Because your increased self-awareness as a mom really frees you up to be able to give your daughter what she really needs, which is you um, and your emotional presence. Because she does not need to be fixed. <laughs> she doesn't want to be fixed. She needs you to help hold her pain by being that emotional presence. So um, just keep these themes in mind as we go into today's content on anxiety and depression. Because anxiety and depression are really confusing and painful experiences for adolescents. Right. And I can imagine as a parent, it's hard to not want to fix your kid, especially when you see that they're experiencing some of these things with anxiety and depression. So yes. our goal today is to give you kind of some background on these things, some mm -hmm. signs to look for and some tips. And as you're listening to them, if it brings up some stuff in you where you're thinking, okay, my kid really might be severely depressed. Um, listen back for Virginia's voice about how they need your emotional presence and not necessarily to be fixed, although there are times to step in. So we'll be able to yeah. kind of discern between those. So where are we headed today in terms of this topic of anxiety and depression? It's a scary one. Yes, it can be a big one, but we're going to try and make it pretty manageable. So today we're going to look or look at what it feels like and looks like uh, to be depressed and anxious. Um, from kind of a subjective standpoint. Um, and then we're going to look at it from a more objective standpoint of what are the actual symptoms, how to tell the difference between all of these different levels of depression, how to intervene as parents, when to know that um, if your child needs help. Um, and then we're going to talk about briefly just what contributes to these issues and then get into... Um, an interesting little topic of self-talk and how that contributes yep. to depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited. 
So firstly, um, I want to just kind of read some quotes from an author that I love. Her name is Dr. Catherine Green McRae, um, and she has written extensively on her experience with depression, um, specifically bipolar, I believe. Um, but she writes that in depression, it is as though you lack shock absorbers for the potholes so that these make you bottom out easily. She also writes, I need something when she's depressed. She writes, I need something, but I don't know what. I don't even know how to tell if or when I need help. I don't know what it means to let myself be helped. I never ask for help, even on the odd occasion when I recognize my need for help. I don't sleep well, I can't eat, I can't read. I draw no pleasure from the little things anymore. So I don't know if this sounds familiar to any of you all, but I think I just want to kind of address that internally, like a core aspect to the experience of depression is feeling really lost. Um, when you're depressed, it feels like you've lost your compass in a sense. And it's so hard to find your compass anyways as an adolescent, like depression or not. <laughs> That's kind of the task that they're trying <laughs> that they're trying to, to accomplish right now anyways, is finding their, their self and finding their internal compass as an adolescent. Um, so when you add depression on top of that, it really just makes you feel pretty lost. Um, and most times kids really don't know what is happening inside of them or why it's happening or what to do about it. Like they have no clue. Um, especially some of the younger adolescents um, who are experiencing this for the first time, say maybe in middle school right. or early high school. Um, so a lot of times I see adolescents kind of keeping it hidden, keeping it on the inside. Um, another thing I've seen is that sometimes these issues can be sort of romanticized in a sense, um, which is an interesting phenomenon, but um it somehow sometimes feels good to be depressed or can become like a cultural thing where a group of teens get together and kind of bond over these right. depressing thoughts that they're having. Um, and they kind of have this mentality of waiting on someone to come and quote unquote save them, um, which I think really is rooted in a desire for someone to believe in them enough um, to fix their problems. But unfortunately it doesn't work that way. Um, and eventually um, they've really got to learn how to fight through this lostness and how to fight for their own mental health. So as parents, we are going to educate you today a little bit more about these issues so that you can then help, help them fight for their mental health and you can help fight for them as well, if that makes sense. Yep. So when we talk about anxiety and depression, a lot of times they're used together. So we're going to talk about depression first, anxiety later, because there are some differences in those. Yeah. So what are some of the symptoms that you see in depression? Yeah. So um, just to kind of go down the list, um, I would say a feeling, overwhelming feelings of sadness and hopelessness is a big one. Um, oftentimes, and especially with teenagers, um, depression shows up as a lot of irritability and agitation. Um, tearfulness or frequent crying is common, withdrawal from friends and family, loss of interest in activities that were once enjoyable to them, um, changes in school performance, that can be a red flag, you know, if the teen is, um, you know, has historically gotten good grades, but then all of a sudden kind of shuts down and grades start dropping, that can be a red flag. Um, any changes in eating and sleeping habits, so um, 
sleeping a lot or waking up in the middle of the night and not sleeping enough. Um, those can, those symptoms can show up in depression oftentimes. Uh, feelings of worthlessness and guilt. Um, I think sometimes when we think of guilt, we just kind of think that that's like, um, oh, everybody feels guilty every once in a while, but those voices of guilt become really strong in mm -hmm. depression, um, like guilt and self-blame. A couple of other symptoms, lack of enthusiasm and motivation, fatigue, lack of energy, difficulty concentrating. Um, sometimes people exhibit bodily symptoms, so any like unexplained aches or pains that aren't going away. Obviously, if any of that is happening, you definitely want to see a doctor and get things checked out. Um, and then the last one, um, and an obvious one, would be any thoughts of of death or suicide. Um, so, and obviously if any of those are going on, um, absolutely call 911 or get in touch with a mental health professional so that your kid can be evaluated um, for their own sense of safety. And so some of these can kind of, it's, it's kind of hard to tell because a lot of teenagers have mood swings anyways. Right. Irritability and agitation. Yes. That is yes. very common. Depression or not, that's pretty common among teenagers. So I would say look for kind of more of the outlying um, symptoms like withdrawal from friends and family, um, a loss of interest in activities that were once enjoyable to them. Because if they were once enjoyable and engaging with the world, um, and then all of a sudden they're not, or over a period of a couple of weeks or months, they start to decline and isolate themselves a little, a little bit more. Um, that can be a warning sign as well. And then of course, like the eating and sleeping habits thing, um, that's a good, a good marker as well. Um, usually teenage moodiness, um, or usually the, these symptoms of depression kind of go beyond that, that normal teenage moodiness, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. So for for parents, how can they kind of differentiate between mild, moderate, severe? Mm -hmm. When do they need to step in to get their kid some help? When should they worry? Yeah, totally. So depression definitely has, like, exists on a continuum. So there are definite categories between mild, moderate, and severe. Um, I would say mild depression is going to look like some sadness, some discouragement or guilt or feelings of failure. Um, sometimes uh, adolescents report this kind of just feeling of feeling blah, if that mm -hmm. makes sense, like just kind of flat or blah. Um, usually suicidal thoughts don't really ac um, accompany mild depression. That's not always the case, but um, normally in mild depression, um, that's normally not associated with any suicidal thoughts, um, and then just mild sleep disturbances or changes in weight or appetite. Um, so they're, they're a mild, someone in, with mild depression is probably going to have greater levels of irritation before, but a lot of times things like exercise, talk therapy, and then just basic self-care strategies can really allevi alleviate these mild symptoms. Moderate, you're kind of taking a step up in moderate depre depression. I'd say that would be a time frame of over a few weeks, maybe months. Um, so more prolonged feelings of sadness or emptiness, discouragement, failure, guilt, self-blame, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, again, loss of interest in previously enjoyable activities, high levels of irritability, 
difficulty making decisions, things like that. This, the moderate category is going to be kind of like, okay, it's seeming like they can't really snap out of this. So they're starting to like isolate themselves more, takes a little, takes a lot more effort to do things than before. Um, There are disturbances in sleep, some exhaustion, weight loss or gain, maybe some physical complaints um, like pain or an upset stomach. You could see thoughts of suicide here, um, maybe a more passive um, attitude of, gosh, maybe it would just be better if I didn't exist, right. thoughts like that. Um, and then, of course, severe depression. Um, severe depression is really persistent, usually, um, and it's almost like these persistent, severe, unbearable levels of sadness. So a lot of times with severe depression, I see complete hopelessness about the future, um, dissatisfaction and boredom with almost everything, constant feelings of guilt, worthlessness. Um, Oftentimes there are recurring suicidal thoughts and oftentimes with a serious consideration of acting on them. Mm -hmm. So if any of this is happening, it is absolutely so important that you um, call 911 and call, um, get in touch with professionals who can step in at this time. Um, but with severe depression, it's, it's really significant impairment in daily functioning, um, significant insomnia or hypersomnia, which is just oversleeping, so sleeping a lot. Any um, significant weight loss or gain you really need to pay attention to. And I'd say Adolescents who fall in the severe category that I see really have, yeah, just these constant levels of irritability. They've lost all interest in others and previously enjoyable activities, and their daily functioning is really significantly impaired. So it's affecting school attendance. It's affecting their ability to get out of bed in the mornings. Um, and I, I would say for the most part, you're most likely going to know if they're, if you're child is severely depressed. I have, no, not all the time, of course. I have seen some um, young women hide it well, Um, but the parents normally at least know that something's up. You you normally know your child pretty well, I would say, Um, and it's really important to call a counselor um, if you feel like these levels in your child are, are severe. Right. And you said if you are noticing the suicidal thoughts to call 911, would you say that's the most immediate step? Yes, that is absolutely the most immediate step because they're going to be able to um, assess, you know, how serious those thoughts are. They can send an officer or someone over to your house to do that um, kind of welfare check and um, assessment of their symptoms and what the next steps need to be. Okay. So then how do we distinguish between kind of what you were talking about with like anxiety, well, like the moodiness of a teenager, Mm -hmm. the agitation versus actual depression? What does that look like? Yeah, good question. Um, Yeah, so we kind of have categories now for mild, moderate, and severe. Um, Sometimes it can be confusing if it is a more mild case, like, okay, what's, what's actually going on with my kid here? I'd say just a rule of thumb for both, we'll go into anxiety in a minute, but a good rule of thumb for both depression and anxiety is to pay attention to A, how long the symptoms have been going on, um, B, how severe the symptoms are. So we gave you these categories, um, between mild, moderate, and severe. So where do you feel like your child falls on that scale? And then see how different your child is acting from his or her 
usual self. So, you know, does does this lift after a few a few days when the circumstances change? Do they sort of spontaneously come out of it, um, or is this something that is lasting despite circumstances? Um, and the American Psychological Association is helpful here. They they say that symptoms that last longer than two weeks are markedly out of proportion to an event or situation and impair a student's academic or social performance are usually cause for a professional evaluation. So that's a good rule of thumb as well. That is a good rule of thumb. So let's walk into anxiety. And if you could help kind of build a framework for what anxiety is and how it might be a little bit different from what we see in depression. Yes. So they are definitely a different set of symptoms. There are... um, increasing theories or or increasing frequency of theories out there that are arguing that anxiety and depression are definitely related because Mm -hmm. they are frequently comorbid, which just means that they frequently occur together. Um, So some researchers are kind of saying that maybe anxiety and depression are two sides of the same coin, but they certainly um, present as very different um, sets of symptoms. So The symptoms of anxiety are going to be irrational and excessive fear and worry, feelings of apprehension or dread, um, watching for signs of danger. This can be a symptom of heightened anxiety, anticipating the worst, feeling tense or jumpy, again, irritability. If you're feeling really anxious and afraid, it normally comes out, um, and irritability as well, because nobody likes to feel anxious and afraid. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, physical symptoms like a racing heart, sweating, an upset stomach. A lot of times that accompanies anxiety, shortness of breath, um, any shaking or trembling. A lot of times um, patients report insomnia. Um, You know, if you're up late worrying all the time or um, have a racing heart and can't sleep. And then tightness in the chest. Um, So a lot of times some of these symptoms can look like, so for example, this might look like um, things like nervousness speaking up in class for your teen, um, any test or performance anxiety, any plummeting grades, um, any difficulty making friends or difficulty in social situations that could Um, be a sign of social anxiety Um, so they remain isolated or avoid social situations as a result um, difficulty falling asleep because they can't stop ruminating they can't stop turning their brains off Mm -hmm. and then in more severe forms um, definitely panic attacks where they feel disconnected with reality or feel like they can't breathe or their heart is racing or they're sweating excessively so um I guess like in terms of kind of an example, we're going to, I'll go through just kind of the different stages of anxiety almost, because even within anxiety, um, there are different types of anxiety. So we can already tell that that list of symptoms of anxiety are very different from the depression symptoms. Um, But even within anxiety, we'll go through kind of what mild, moderate, and severe look like as well. So typical anxiety, mild anxiety, It's usually caused by stress. Um, It's usually just kind of a sense of nervousness or worry caused by an upcoming event or test. It's usually short in duration. Um, A lot of times it can just be a normal 
although uncomfortable, a normal response to unknown or uncomfortable or perceived dangerous situations. Um, a lot of times this can be resolved or helped with anxiety or with exercise. Um, exercise is so good for lifting our mood and for having an outlet for some of this racing energy that's inside of us when we're anxious. Um, obviously a healthy diet is important, um, both in depression and anxiety. We need our bodies to be functioning optimally, um, in order for our mental health to follow suit. Um, limiting caffeine is really important with anxiety because caffeine obviously increases that heart rate and gives us a lot more energy than maybe some of us need. Right. <laughs> um, getting plenty of sleep is really important. Um, Deep breathing can really help. Um, breathing in general is a really good way to regulate your body and your um, and your anxiety if you can focus on your breath. Um, I recommend a couple of different apps um, to clients that have that they've found helpful. Um, so Headspace is a one popular app that people can use um, that kind of walks you through breathing and meditative exercises. Um, I also have one called, I think it's called stop, breathe and think. Okay. So, um, breathing is just a really good way. Um, and if you have an app that you can just open on your phone and they give you little two minute or five minute exercises to kind of get your breathing under control, that's a really, um, good tool. Um, aside from that, yoga can be a very calming activity, um, music can be a really calming activity too. So again, think when you're kind of in this typical or mild anxiety category, things like this that we're talking about with self-care can usually alleviate some of those symptoms. On the other hand, when you get into more moderate levels like generalized anxiety disorder, this can show up as persistent, excessive, unrealistic worries about everyday things. Um, you experience restlessness and inability to relax, a lot of irritability in this category, difficulty concentrating, fatigue, sometimes nausea, insomnia, which we've mentioned, um, an easy startle response can be common. So, um, you know, somebody comes up behind you and startles you easily. Um, heart racing, shakiness. At this point, um, in terms of what can help this level, um, you can look into natural supplements. They have all sorts of things um, that can help that can help anxiety and depression, for that matter, um, from a more natural standpoint. Um, a lot of times, calming teas, herbal teas, things like that. Um, again, exercise and self care are really important here. Um, and you could look at this stage. You could look into counseling or therapy. Um, you could look into some guided relaxation or perhaps some prescription medications. Um, and of course, with anxiety as well as depression, it's always good to just have a overall physical with your primary care doctor just to make sure that, you know, everything is okay and that there right. might not be something um, clearly medical and biological going on, such as like a hormone imbalance. Right. Yeah. So it's important to get those checked out. And then finally, a more kind of severe level of anxiety or disorder would be panic attacks, shortness of breath, um, a feeling of being choked or smothered, um, chest pain, sweating, feeling numb or detached or out of your body, 
Um, a lot of times those feelings or sensations can be, um, can accompany panic attacks. So it's this level of everything speeds up in your body and, and you have high levels of panic about what's happening to you. And therefore you can feel really detached um, from your environment or from your body and yourself. Um, and then intense fear, shaking, or any flashbacks. These are definitely um, just more severe levels of anxiety. Um, if anybody has ever had a panic attack, um, at least after your first panic attack where you're, you know, you have no idea what is going on, usually after that um, you're, go you're able to know, okay, that was a panic attack. I have a category for this now. Okay. Um, but if you're, if you're to this level, it's definitely important um, to just get it checked out and to seek, to seek help. So cognitive behavioral therapy can work well here as can prescription medication. Um, there are lots of therapies that are coming out like EMDR. That's really good at treating um, trauma symptoms, but also really heightened anxiety symptoms. So if the levels are here, it's really important to, to seek professional help. Right. To get some help. And it's actually okay to get help. I know absolutely we've talked in the past about the whole perfectionism mentality and yes. is it okay to not be okay sometimes? Yeah. And I can't, I, I mean, I can't imagine trying to navigate depression or anxiety without really having a background like in psychology or counseling. Yeah. It's a scary thing and you don't know what's going on. But the cool thing is that there are people out there who are going to have categories for this and know how to treat it. So getting right. help is just so, it's just in your best interest and in your teenager's best interest because there are people out there um, who have studied this and who know the signs and symptoms and who know what works um, to treat this. And right. there are there are things that can help. Especially if you're a teenager and you don't really want to talk about it and you don't know how to talk about it, it's, yeah. it's good to at least put them with someone who's ready to communicate with them about it. Absolutely. So when we look at kind of both sides of the coin, like you had said, with anxiety and depression, how did we get here? Like what causes these things? Mm -hmm. What's going on with these? Yeah. Um, well, it's definitely mental health issues are definitely complex. Um, so it's not like we can, you know, go into the doctor and get our blood drawn or something like that. And it right. tells us our exact numerical levels mm -hmm. of anxiety, depression, and why they are that way. Um, so it's definitely complex, but causality for anxiety and depression is always multifaceted. So the, the cause of these things is um, one term that I found helpful in my past Um just study of these topics is that they are biopsychosocial issues. So they are caused biologically, psychologically, and socioculturally. So um, within like the biological category, heredity, biochemical, and hormonal factors absolutely play a role in both anxiety and depression. Um, another example would be irregularities in certain neurotransmitters in the brain. I mean, so much research is coming out um, just about the biological causes of anxiety and depression and other mental health issues. And it's so helpful to understand. Um, but I don't think we can never isolate it to one facet of our being, right? We are holistic um, human beings. And 
Therefore, the problems that we encounter are influenced by multiple parts of ourselves as well. Right. Um, so, for example, um, if we go into the sociocultural category, this is an interesting one. Um, because, like we've talked about, the culture around us absolutely influences us and our mental health. So, um, a lot of times, socioeconomic factors can play a role in anxiety and depression. Historically, actually, poverty has been a big indicator or risk factor for mental health problems. But recently, there's been some writing and research on depression and anxiety among privileged suburban youth. I know that here in Colorado, we have, um, at least in the area where we're located, we have a pretty high high rates of depression and suicide um, in, in suburban Denver. Um, and mood disorders and suicide, like I said, are just skyrocketing. Um, I think on the sociocultural level, we definitely, there's just greater levels of isolation in our community right now. So much is done um, on social media. And so that face-to-face community interaction is really declining. But that's such a part of our humanity that is, I believe, God-given and so important. Um, We need to be dependent and in relationship with others. Um, and then I think just on the cultural level, there really is this kind of sense of, um, just a loss of a bigger worldview kind of beyond ourselves right now. Um, a loss of meaning in our lives. I I see this a lot actually with teens. Um, and I think on a cultural level, we are influenced by the messaging that says, you know, for example, there is no absolute truth in the world. Um, and when we're, when, we're, when we don't have that greater narrative, when we don't have a worldview that is bigger than ourselves, it can cause a lot of discontent, a lot of confusion, and a lot of hopelessness, which I definitely see happening to our youth right now. Um, so that's kind of the big picture. I, I just went... Right. <laughs> I just hit it from an existential angle there. Well, and it's good, too, because as you were talking about, I'm thinking all the times that I've heard parents say, well, I think my daughter or my son has anxiety, but I don't get why, because Mm -hmm. it's not like they have a test coming up. Right. They have good friends. Everything in their life is fine. So do they just want attention or are they making this up? So totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's important to recognize that this is a multifaceted issue. So there could be biological causes. There could be predispositions, um, you know, just in their heredity, um, there could be, again, we've talked about the social cultural causes, and then there are also psychological, um, causes. So a kid's personality and temperament really plays into this. There are certain temperaments that are more prone to negative thinking over positive thinking. Um, I think also like just this, some kids are more, some teenagers are more, internally resilient than others and some have a stronger sense of self than others. I think that plays a role in the psychological um, aspects of depression too. And then of course we're our, our patterns of behavior, our cognitions or our patterns of thinking um, and our emotions all play a role in depression as well. So um, whether you overexpress emotion or underexpress emotion, things like that. Just kind of how we're built in our temperament and personality really can can play into this kind of psychological aspect of Absolutely. anxiety and depression. So there's more at play than just are they getting good grades? Mm-hmm. Did they, you know, make the sports team or not? Do they have friends? Yeah. There's, there's a lot going on. Yes. Teenagers are 
complex little wonders. <laughs> <laughs> little wonders. They are. Um, we all remember our teenage years, right? They're, yeah, they're tough rough. years. There's it's a lot. Hard. There's a lot going on. Um, so I think just um, to kind of zero in on the kind of last part of our podcast here, um, I'm going to zero in on the just kind of the psychological aspects of this anxiety and depression epidemic. So we've named this theme before um, that kids on the outside can put up this sense of um, grandiosity or put up this sense of a false self and a facade of saying like, I'm great. Look at me. Um, Again, Brene Brown talks a lot about this um, admiration seeking and seeking abundance in their lives. So material abundance and going, yeah, I'm great on the outside. And yet on the inside, there's a total disconnect because they're kind of, excuse me, unraveling in anxiety and toxic shame sometimes and self-contempt and self-blame and then in depression and in some cases self-harm. So what is missing? Like a lot of times these kids are often like very personable, very academically successful on the outside too. Um, But they don't really like know themselves very well. They don't, um, they kind of lack a fundamental sense of who they are and they really value the views of others over their own. This is really common. I see this in my office very often. Um, And one researcher and author, her name is Madeline Levine. Um, She has written a book called The Price of Privilege, which I would recommend to anyone living in a suburban environment struggling with um, teens with mental health issues. Um, And she really argues that what's missing is a sense of self. Um, She argues that kids are facing a lot of external pressure, um, sometimes excessive micromanagement by the adults around them. Um, They're scheduled to within an inch of their lives. I don't know if any of this is sounding familiar, but... Gosh, there's so much pressure on the kids. And I know that, obviously, too, if there's so much pressure on the kids, that means that the moms are probably um, feeling all that pressure and stress as well. Um, but this this tendency for these teenagers' success to be based on their achievements. Um, and these factors really interfere with a, with a teen's ability to construct a sense of self. Um, they really haven't been able to develop the internal resources that can actually help them feel like their own lives matter and that they can manage their own lives and feelings. Um, So as parents and as mentors and me as a counselor, we've really got to be more concerned with who our children are over how our children do. And Dr. Levine speaks to this so, so well um, and offers suggestions in how we can do this. Um, But Things like external things like grades, accolades, high status, recognition from others, really actually when it comes down to it, don't say much about a teen's actual psychological health. Sometimes they do, but a lot of times you can have someone on the outside that is um, kind of enjoying a high status and reputation and getting recognition from others and is a high achiever and is high functioning, but then on the inside, their psychological health is really not great. Right. Well, and they get lost in that too. Like if I'm being, if I have all these external accolades or achievements, then I'm lovable versus I'm just lovable 
for who I am. Right. So if they go through a day where their coach doesn't compliment them, but actually Mm. they have a rough day at practice or they don't get in a good grade on a test or they don't make the team, whatever it is, then that's perceived as they are unlovable. Right. Because they haven't achieved that day. Yeah. And I work a lot with teenagers, um, just in terms of like helping them understand that we can't just outsource our entire self-worth to other people. Yes, Yes. exactly. But that's also a hard line Mm -hmm. to walk because we also, we are made for relationship and we do need people that are actively speaking positively into our lives and building us up. But at the same time, we cannot outsource our self-worth to others. We really need to know down at our core that we can be loved and accepted for exactly who we are. So um, Dr. Levine argues that a sen- this sense of lovability and self-acceptance is the core of all healthy self-development. Um, I love that. And actually on our next podcast, we are going to unpack that a little bit more and talk about um, how to develop a healthy sense of self or how to, how to help your teen develop a healthy sense of self. Because that's so important. Um, but going back to today's topic, we um, I think one of the biggest factors in this anxiety and depression that I see in my office is this lack of this sense of lovability and self-acceptance. Um, so a lot of times this is one of the really important factors that is causing um, that is causing their anxiety and depression. Well, I say causing hesitantly because it's almost like, well, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Like, is the depression causing the feelings of worthlessness or the feelings of worthlessness causing the depression? So um, we'll leave that one as a mystery. But um, they definitely correlate big time. So a lot of times in these teens with anxiety and depression, they have really negative views of themselves, which actually shows up in the form of negative self-talk which is an interesting concept. I don't know how many people are familiar with the concept of self-talk, but we are going to kind of round this out by talking briefly about this topic because it's something that we all, that we all do. Um, And the extent of the negative self-talk that I usually see in my office is pretty horrendous and pretty negative sometimes. Um, So self-talk is basically... Um, Psychology Today puts it as self-talk is your own opinions and evaluations on what you're doing as you're doing it. They say it's an, I love this analogy. They say it's the inner voice equivalent of a sports announcer commenting on a player's successes or failures on the playing field. So it's like we have this running commentary in our heads that we usually don't even know we have. And that usually tends to be pretty negative. Um, And the girls that I see Oftentimes, and I think negative self-talk really plagues women a lot more than men. Um, Obviously, men can have negative self-talk too. But gosh, these girls are just plagued by negative voices that are really full of self-hatred and self-contempt. And over time, they kind of like learn to feel comfortable there, right? In their depression, they they perpetuate this negative self-talk. They probably aren't even aware it's happening. And this just becomes so normalized to them. Um, So extreme negativity towards themselves becomes their new normal, which I hate to see. Um, So self-talk can get really destructive. One, um, 
a couple of examples of self, of negative or destructive self-talk would be things like, you know, when we mess up and you're going, oh my God, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I did that. Or that was so stupid. It's all my fault. Or I'm terrible at this. I'm such a failure. Um, right? We all have moments where we feel like right. a total failure, but gosh, we've got to be able to push back against some of this negative self-talk because it does not speak truth. Like it does not, um, it is not an accurate reflection of reality. Of course, we are all allowed to make mistakes, but that does not mean that we are worthless or that we are failures. Um, so that's just kind of an interesting topic that I would say, um, just to pay attention to, obviously self-talk is very internal, so you're not going to be able to know when your teenager is necessarily, um, absorbed in their own negative self-talk. Um, but I would say that's just a topic just to be aware of, especially in the, in, in this kind of theme or vein of depression and anxiety. Right. And chances are, if you're listening to what they're saying, kind of between the lines, you'll be able to pick up on some of it. Yes. Sometimes. You're totally right. I would agree with that. But yeah, it takes practice to recognize those thoughts in the first place and then to practice kind of their counterparts. Right. In the positive way. So what are some practical tips that parents could utilize in helping their teen if they're in these tough spots? Yes, it's always important to make this practical. We've covered a lot of ground today, so thanks for <laughs> thanks for yeah. hanging in there and listening. Um, so I'd say first, if you feel, especially if you feel that your daughter or teenager is in kind of a more depressed place, um, first, I think validation is so important. Validate her pain and be emotionally present for her. Do not try and fix things even though that impulse is normally a good one inside of you or one that means well, um, they really, when, when these teenagers are upset, they really just need their moms to sit there and be with them, to be with them and be present to them in their sadness. Now there's a time for advice giving. Um, there's a time to step in and problem solve, but you can't ever go to those, those, um, steps first. You got to attend to the emotion first Um, and the difficulty of their situation and help them feel heard and understood because then that clears them up to be able to hear advice and or um, engage in like a problem solving process, if that makes sense. Um, I also think that giving frequent and genuine praise, um, especially in the light of such negative self-talk, like focus on what your daughter or teenager is doing well. Excuse me, because... A lot of times they don't carry that encouraging voice around with them. Right. They carry a very negative voice around with them. So if you can be someone that is genuinely um, just a positive influence in their lives, again, not in an empty way or in a superficial way, but in a genuine and authentic way of going, here's what I see in you and I want to name your strengths um, because they don't, they don't see those a lot of times and they need help with that. I would also say, especially in the case of depression, um, prioritize activities that will lift your teenager's mood. It's really important um, when someone has kind of lost their ability to kind of enjoy life. Um, It's really important to give or to engage in activities that are life-giving and that can give your teen a sense of maybe even accomplishment or mastery over something. 
Um, so this is going to differ, you know, according to the teenager's personality and what interests them. But, you know, if they need to take a Saturday to go up into the mountains and just be a photographer because they love photography, like, allow them to do that, obviously, in a safe way, depending on their age, maybe in a supervised way. Um, But that's what I mean by things that might be life-giving to them. Help them reconnect with the good things in life, because a lot of times depression strips us and, and and kind of makes us forget about the good side of life. And sometimes you have to be intentional about seeking out experiences like that. Um, another practical tip I would say, you can start to help her notice maybe what triggers her anxiety and depression if she's open to this. Um, you could have a conversation with her about going, you know, have you ever wondered, you know, what triggers or what makes your anxiety worse or better, your depression worse or better? Um, you could have her keep a mood journal each week because the more self-awareness that she can bring to these problems, the more that she can know how to help herself, if that makes sense. So. Um, a mood journal might just look like, um, even if they want to keep it on their phone, like ranking their moods every day or their d- levels of depression or anxiety every day on a scale of one to 10 and kind of starting to pay attention to what, you know, what makes it a really hard day, what makes it an easier day, just basic self-awareness type stuff. Um, and then lastly, I would recommend finding a counselor that your teenager can relate to. I think that's super important, especially if they are willing and interested in going to counseling. I find that even if sometimes teenagers aren't super interested, um, if you find the right counselor who is relatable, they usually come in and after the first or second session, they kind of go, oh, okay, you know, I can I can talk yeah. more than I thought. And this is actually helpful or, or relieving to actually, you know, let somebody in a little bit more than I'm used to. Um And then lastly, it's so, so important for you guys as moms to find an outlet for yourself when you feel overwhelmed and hopeless. Um, Because I know, gosh, from um, just the situations I've seen and the experiences that walk into my office, of course you feel feel overwhelmed and helpless sometimes, or hopeless sometimes. Um, But it's so important for you, not only your teen, but for you as the mom to find an, find an outlet when you need it. Um, and just to take really good care of yourself. Right. Those are such good tips. Thank you. What would you, what would you say, or do you have any insight for as to like how parents might be actually contributing Mm. to these topics of anxiety and depression? When we talk about tips to help the teen, Those are really good to be thinking of. And then just kind of on a parental level of self-awareness, how might they be contributing in a way that they can maybe address? Yeah, totally. Yeah, um, I would say, again, these issues are multifaceted. Um, So, you know, it's not always just the parents causing the anxiety and depression. But we've always, the parents have really got to examine their role in this. Um, So in these cases, I kind of see one of two things happening with parents. Um, A lot of times, or sometimes I'll see parents really focusing on the externals, on a kid's performance, on their grades, on, you know, what college they're going to, etc. And I think the kids, the teenagers are holding so much pressure already, especially if they're a high achiever or, or at a school that is so high achieving. 
Um, they're so they're already holding so much pressure to perform, and they really need a place where they can just be themselves. Um, and I think the home can really foster this sense of like acceptance um, in, in in the light of so many external pressures that they experience on a daily basis outside of the home. So I would say to parents, like check your own self-talk and the reasons you're holding them to high standards. High standards are not a bad thing. High standards are, are a good thing, but they really need to be accompanied by a solid foundation and a solid sense of self in a teen. So if, if there are these high standards held out um, and no sense of self or no foundation upholding that, then they really, that's when they kind of start to outsource their um, kind of their self-worth to all of these externals. Um, and yeah, if that foundation is not there, that can contribute to levels of depression and anxiety. So I'd say as parents, just kind of be aware of, of the motives behind your high standards and whether you might need to just reevaluate them a little bit. Um, the other thing, and we're actually, we'll talk about that too. We'll talk about, like I said, like a health, developing a healthy sense of self and not focusing so much on the externals next podcast. Um, but the other thing I see when parents are contributing to levels of depression and anxiety in their teens is sometimes parents become so afraid of letting their kids fail or they're so afraid of their kids maybe even repeating painful aspects of their own stories and their own lives and their own past that parents then move into like over control and they try and overprotect their teens. Um, and I'm not a mom yet. So I, gosh, I can imagine that this is such a hard impulse to control as a parent. Um, but it is so important to let your teen fail in a, in an appropriate way. Um, because a lot of times they're going to absorb your anxiety. Um, when you are anxious, kids pick that up from an early age and they're going to carry that into, that kind of becomes a part of who they are. That doesn't mean it's it can't be um, addressed later on and, and helped later on, but um, it's so, so important for moms especially, I think, um, just to have their own resources for their own just anxieties, which is so natural. I, we all have anxieties, especially about your own kids. I think that's that's huge. So I would just say on those two fronts, just kind of check yourself and maybe do an inventory of yourself as a parent to see if um, anything has kind of gotten out of control on, in those areas. Right. Those are areas to watch for. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Thank you so much. And I hope that this information on anxiety and depression has been helpful to you today if you're listening so thank you, Virginia Hood, for joining yeah. us. And be sure to tune in next time as we do talk about how do you foster that sense of lovability in your mm -hmm. teenager? What does it look like to help them walk into a healthy sense of self? Yeah. We have a lot of information on that. Yeah. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. See you next time. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you've gained insight and some helpful tools as you continue to love and support your teen. And until next time, we pray that God leads you and your family as you navigate these years. Be sure to visit girlabove.com or follow at girlabove on Instagram for blogs, media, and resources developed by both our counseling network and teenage girls from across the globe. 
Also, to get in touch with Virginia Hood, visit virginiahoodcounseling.com. Thanks for tuning in.